This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Ultra Specium Razors. Tired of the typical run-of-the-mill razors that cost you outrageous amounts of money? Why not try Ultra Specium Razors? With a sleekly designed silver handle and with red trim, it comes equipped with the ability to moisturize your face straight from the razor. An ergonomic design with our patented Ultra 360 technology allows for a one-of-a-kind comfortable rotation around your face while protecting your skin from damage. The five-bladed razor uses twin laser technology to remove all the hair from your face with great haste and precision, while color timer lets you know when it's time to change your blade. Get the best shave on earth in under three minutes with the Ultra Specium Razor from Subarias. Reveal the kaiju in you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen. Hello, everyone. How are you doing this week, Stephen? Doing pretty good. Can't complain. I I don't really think of anything that I can uh, mention or complain about, so I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. That's good. Well, no complaints is a good thing in the way the, the way world is nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a fully packed episode this week, so let's jump straight into the news. So, Stephen, I'm going to let you take over for the news. Do we have any news in the world of giant monster movies? Okay, so we've been talking about this trailer thing for so long. And I'm going to, I think, I think we're close. I think we're close. I don't want to get everybody's hopes up, but I think we're close. Because uh, from December 5th through the 8th, we have a comic convention. I cannot remember the name of the comic convention. I tried looking it up and I failed on that. But there's a comic convention happening. It's a big one. And Warner Brothers uh, is going to have a film panel for every release in 2020 that they have announced or have yet to announce. So fingers crossed that they will show off something in regards to Kong versus uh, Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong. Now I kind of feel like we will only because there was a rumor floating around. I think the week before that we were going to see the trailer drop on December 10th. This is a very specific date that someone threw out. It said December 10th, it's happening. Yeah. And the fact that the con <clears throat> is happening, and in fact their panel is happening on the 8th of December, that's two days out. Right. It's a Tuesday. I'm starting to think there's some credibility there. I'm starting to hedge my bets that this is a very, very likely possibility. So, fingers crossed, yeah. man. I think we're there. Yeah. Yeah, well, of all of the rumors of when the trailer's going to drop and you know, when we were going to see the trailer, this seems the most credible as far as rumors go. It's still it's still rumors. We're not really – or it's it's based on educated guess, but uh, sure. the, mm-hmm. um, the, the expo is um, CCXP. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's what it's going to be at. And uh, Warner Brothers is going to be uh, unveiling all of their uh, – tentpole movies for the year of 2020 um and of course kong versus godzilla's 
one of those ones. So mm-hmm. if they leave that one out, there's something seriously wrong. Right. Um, so I'm hoping we're, that's we're, not the I'm, case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only the only reason they would leave it out of the of of this um expo is if they were planning on pushing it back to another year. Right. Uh, and we haven't heard anything about that. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, they're still planning on releasing it next year. Now, people are questioning whether it's going to be in March or whether it's going to be in May or what, but we're still expecting next year or so. So we're hoping yep, yep. that that's when the trailer is going to be released. And like you said, there, there's there been rumors about December 10th. This is happening on December 8th. So it makes sense. So sure. as as far as like the conspiracy theories of when the trailer is going to drop, <laughs> this is the most likely to be true. So, right. So uh, we're gearing I up really for it. Hope, yeah. I really hope that there's, I, I'm hoping because I mean, in all honesty, I think even thinking December 10th, they know, they know someone, if they show that off, there's going to be someone in that theater they're going to have their phone. They're going to have some recording device. They're going to try to bootleg it up to the internet. So you might as well get it out. They might as well just release it right after right. because, you know, studios have done that before. So even if it's not December yeah. 10th, I think that's going to be their scheduled plan. But they may push it up and just say, you know what, just go ahead. People are clamoring, which would be great. But again, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Maybe they'll stick to their guns and do that because, I mean, we've seen it in the past. I know, I think Disney did it with uh, Age of Ultron because that got leaked and they were just like, just, just release mm-hmm. it. Just come on, just go ahead. Because someone got it yeah. out there. Yeah. So. And I think the Suicide Squad trailer the mm-hmm. uh, did the same thing for Comic-Con that year. It was leaked and so they went ahead and just released it out. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm hoping to. Yeah, I mean, they know that fans are chomping at the bit <laughs> right yeah, now. I would hope so. For anything. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm, yeah. yeah, fingers crossed. Right. I'm I'm really hoping that there's there's a lot of truth to what we're hearing. Rumors still, but hopefully there's truth. Yeah. Well, it, it's the most likely of rumors. So I you sure. know, I put it in a in a and it's still in that category of we haven't been confirmed on anything. Hmm. WB hasn't said they're going to talk about Kong versus Godzilla on that day, but of of all of the thoughts that we've had and of all of the information that's out there this is the best educated guess that we can make so based on what we have the information we have so Mm. um but that's that's the extent of it i mean there's nothing else to really say you know other than that (laughs) yeah yeah so two weeks fingers crossed Yep. yep two weeks two two weeks we will be talking hopefully about the godzilla versus kong trailer and we'll actually get a confirmation on whether it's Godzilla versus Kong or Kong versus Godzilla. Right. <laughs> because we keep switching back and forth between the two. We do. So it's like, we just need a confirmation. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, any other news that you want to talk about? Uh, this, I wouldn't really call this newsworthy, but I, f- I found like it was a it was a pretty interesting Easter egg that kind of got tossed around. I was looking on Twitter uh, sometime this week and someone had tweeted to the director of Kong Skull Island, Jordan Vogt Roberts, about the skull crawlers and mm-hmm. what their possible design was. And 
the guy had said that his seven-year-old kid was watching the movie and he had seen the original King Kong, which I already got to give props to this dad. Kudos for you showing him the original Kong already. Yeah. Giving him the, the classics. And this kid noticed a monster in the original King Kong that looked very much like a skull crawler. So he mentioned to his dad, I wonder if that's what the skull crawlers are. The dad tweeted that to the director and the director said, yes, absolutely. That is exactly what that is patterned after. Your son yeah. has a keen eye and nobody, uh, there's been very few, I think he said, not not nobody, but very few people who caught that connection. And I thought, well, I, I missed it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back and look. Because yeah, I mean, we'd been seeing the images of the skull crawlers for a while, and I never pieced that together. I didn't either. Shows how much we pay attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and that's, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, and the director said, um, he said, "I'm not kidding when I say less than five people have ever noticed this, or less at least ever, five. you know, voiced." Yeah. So uh, that was a really good catch, really yeah, good yeah. catch from a seven-year-old kid. Kids are, kids are really something else. They 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 pay attention to details like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that's why they say don't uh, say certain things around your kids because they'll repeat it. Obviously, because they're catching it all. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. So kudos to this yep. kid. He's so that- he's growing up to be a, a proper kaiju fan. Yeah. And and kudos to the dad for raising him right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Applause. All right. Well, uh, the other news item that I have is we had an announcement that the seventh installment in the Tremors franchise has been announced. Ooh. And the title is going to be Tremors Island Fury. Island and from... Fury. From what it looks like, Michael Gross, of course, Michael Gross is coming back. He's mm-hmm. the star of the whole uh, franchise. And um, he it looks like he's almost like a hermit living on an island and going to be drawn back into uh, chasing down the Graboids and all the other uh, Tremors monsters. So they have started filming on that. Now, have you seen all of the Tremor sequels? I have, and... Your description there of him being a hermit does raise questions because I don't... I'm trying to remember, how did the last one end? I haven't seen the last... the most recent one. or okay. the um I think they were in the Arctic or Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't actually seen that one yet. I have it on my list. I just haven't... You know, it's on my Netflix queue. I just right. haven't watched it yet. Um, But... I don't so I don't know how it ended, but I yeah, as far as like he, I don't feel like he was. I mean, he may have been kind of in a point where he was just like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this, but I don't, I don't remember those words coming out of his mouth. I, I yeah, I feel like he was at a point where it was just like, I'm getting too old for this. Uh, I'm exhausted, but I never remember him yeah. saying I'm done. So maybe I got to go back and rewatch that to see what would lead to him kind of going yeah. into hiding. I, I'd be interested because um, if he if he you know decided to retire from it all and just like decided to live on an island somewhere and just enjoy himself there, or mm. is he on purpose? Or is he 
is it by accident that he's on this island? Maybe he got shipwrecked or something like that. I mean, you right. can't really put anything past the Tremors movies at this point. They right. they will do anything. <laughs> I mean, being um, shipwrecked actually sounds like a good plot point. I kind of like that. Maybe he was just trying to get away on a vacation, got stuck there and crashed yeah. or stranded, I guess. And then there are graboids. Yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah, and he definitely, they showed pictures of of him uh, on set, and he definitely has that Tom Hanks uh, castaway kind of vibe going, so so he might be a, a castaway, an actual castaway there. Hmm. Um, so, Tremors Island Fury, look for it coming soon. We'll have more information soon, but I just thought that was interesting that they announced uh, Tremors 7, the seventh movie seventh. in that series. <laughs> That is crazy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Michael Gross is still doing it. I mean, what else is he doing? (laughs) Well, that's that's true. It's not like they revive family ties or anything. So I think he's he's desperate for work. uh, Yeah, that's true. But I mean, at this point, he could probably retire and just live the rest of his life off of the money from Tremors. Sure. He wouldn't even need to do anything else. (laughs) But apparently he really enjoys doing these things. And that's um, good. You know, more power to him for that. Yeah. But they the I don't have an actual release date for it, but they did did say on their Twitter account that the movie is coming in twenty twenty. So good. that's a that's a big turnaround, you know, to yeah. start filming and edit the film, do all the special effects and release it all within a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a little so, disappointed uh, though. I mean not not saying that I'm disappointed in the franchise thus far, because they've all been entertaining, but I was always kind of yeah. hoping. I know trying to get Kevin Bacon back is going to be a huge, huge endeavor, so I could care less. But Fred Ward, man, he I love seeing oh, him yeah. in part two. I was really hoping he'd come back at some point, but yeah, I, I'm curious as to why yeah, that's I, not happened. Yeah, I'm not sure about him. I don't know what happened, why he never wanted to come back. I know Kevin Bacon... When the first movie came out, he was super embarrassed about being in the movie and oh, really just why? he hated he hated being in that movie or he he hated being recognized for being in that movie. And I think over the years, because that movie is turning 30 years old next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think over the 30 years, he's kind of come around to it. Now he realizes, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with this film. It's, you know, there's no, nothing it's... wrong with being in this film. But I think he was really embarrassed by it because I remember the um, interviews and stuff with him, reading stuff about it, where he was just like embarrassed about being in Tremors. He's like, that is his lowest point in his career at no. one time, he said. And I'm like, no, there's there have been low points in your career, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> he was more entertaining in that than he was in friday the 13th i think that was far from a low point that, that yeah. movie's a classic yeah i mean i like tremors more than i like hollow man yeah and you know not saying that hollow man wasn't you know good as far as uh you know horror movies go but but, but how many uh, times have you watched hollow man over tremors right exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think i've seen hollow man since i was like uh, maybe 12 <laughs> I yeah, think when it first I, came out. So that's probably the last time I saw it. <laughs> yeah. I can only uh, maybe say t- twice that I've seen all of man. And that's even being generous because I don't really remember it. I just vaguely remember bits, but I can tell you tremors inside and out. I love that. Movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever get 
him back, but it is it, it would be nice to see some of the older cast members who were mm-hmm. from the first one or from the you know the second one um come back earl to come back um yeah. i know that the girl the girl did come back for the third one so that yeah. was mm-hmm. at least something um but yeah just even reba mcintyre <laughs> yeah no kidding uh, she ain't cutting an album here lately come on right it's like she did she only did the one movie and then she left but yeah um anyway i think that's enough tremors talk because okay. <laughs> um so we also had a trailer get released this week over twitter and over the internet for a kaiju film that's been kind of in the rumblings for a while it's called Howl from the Fog. The Howl from the Fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, howl like in wolf, if my accent, oh. people don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the trailer, the trailer come out and I watched it. Did you, did you get a chance to watch the trailer? I did. I think I watched it the, the moment you sent it over because uh, I was curious. What did you think of it? It's got my attention. However, I will say that I was a little confused by what this movie is because, A, there's a language barrier, so, you know, they didn't right. really necessarily release it in any kind of English that we could read. All the more reason I want to learn Japanese. Secondly, yeah, were there puppets in there? <laughs> was it? Yes. Okay, yes. so it wasn't uh, just me. No, that that's the part that threw me too because yeah. I did not know this. Uh, I looked it up afterwards and and found out that there's no actual human actors in the movie. It's okay. all puppets. It's all done with puppets. Um, but it's like a new way of doing puppetry that's going to look supposedly supposed to look a little bit more realistic, a little bit more um, human than like your classic puppets but i also think that's kind of er uh, yeah you're getting I, a little too much in the in uncanny valley <laughs> yeah because it, it like at first i wasn't sure like i think the very first human character they showed in the trailer was i kind of tilted my head like what, what, uh, like i wasn't yeah. sure and then the yeah, second like, time there's I was something like, off <laughs> yeah and then the more i kept seeing i was like those are puppets this is a puppet so i mean yeah i'm not i'm not dissing puppets i like puppets but it was it wasn't what I was expecting. I didn't expect to see puppets in a kaiju film, so but I'm open to it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that that's how I am. It's it's different. It's unique. Mm-hmm. So I'm open to it. But it, I'm like you, it caught me off guard because I just wasn't expecting it. Right. Um this is the uh explanation of it from the director and creator uh of this movie himself. This is this is all an uh independent film. Mm-hmm. Um the director helped create the he basically set up the studio that is releasing it and and producing it and stuff himself so it's it's his own studio um he's raised a lot of the money through kickstarter and stuff so Mm -hmm. um this is really truly an independent film but uh this is what he had to say the environment and atmosphere of the film will be conveyed by expressing everything within the work as a model. This includes the human element as well. People will be depicted using half-sized puppets fitted with special makeup technology that will help show expression uniquely different from traditional puppet theater. Huh. The scale of the environmental models will fit seamlessly with the puppets. And I think 
when you first, because I think the, one of the first characters that you see, uh, human characters, is the blind woman. So mm-hmm. she's wearing the sash across her eyes. And right. that you could, you almost couldn't tell because yeah. her eyes were covered and everything. So you couldn't really tell. But as soon as they showed another character that had the full face and you could see the face clearly, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this is a puppet. <laughs> right, right. The synopsis for well actually let me finish reading i have the um more information here about it from the uh creator and this is all taken from the kickstarter page for the movie the kickstarter was fully you know it's fully funded that's why we're getting a release on it and this movie actually an unfinished version of it was shown at g fest oh um, which is the like Godzilla festival that they have. And so people who went to G fest this year got to see part of this film or or this film, but just not completely completed yet. Mm. The creator and director goes on to say recently, both in domestic and foreign films, studios have replaced traditional rubber model suits with detailed CG. This is attributed to how the passage of time, along with technological advancements, have brought a dramatic change to the genre. The amount of detail and realism that CG brings is quite staggering. Still, I personally believe that there is an unmistakable perception that can only be realized using traditional rubber suits. How from Beyond the Fog plans to present that feeling to its fullest. Interesting. So that's that was kind of his idea. And and I didn't even realize how much CG was used even in Shin Godzilla. Yeah, that's true. And that was a Toho film. And so because you just automatically expect Toho to to uh, do the rubber suits and not CG. But they actually use a lot of CG when doing Shin Godzilla. And so even seeing with studios like Toho doing more cg based giant monster movies mm-hmm. i can kind of get the get what this um director is feeling it's like well you know i i kind of while that's all useful and good i kind of want to bring back that feeling that you get from seeing a man in a suit the big right. rubber suits the and the the physical thing they are stomping around mm-hmm I think a lot of the best stuff that they that a lot of these filmmakers do, anybody that can use traditional special effects like the man in the rubber suit, but then they enhance it with CG, it looks so much better mm-hmm. because you're getting that realism from the practical effects, but then you're just making it look a lot more unique with the CG. I mean, that's that's right. I, it's probably a little bit more costly, but the effects are just so much better that way. So, yeah, yeah, I'm eager to see this just based on all that, because that was a lot of new information I didn't know. So, yeah. And uh, they he also included in the um, in the Kickstarter uh, description, a synopsis for the film. Um, So how from beyond the fog is set during the Meiji or Meiji Reformation era in a small village in Kyushu, Japan. The story revolves around a young boy named Izana and a blind woman named Takiri. The two encounter the large monster Nebula, who since ancient times was feared as the god of the lake. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because that's <laughs> a, I'd say smaller Japanese words are okay. Long Japanese words are really hard. 
It says the film is planned to run for 45 minutes, so it's a short film. It's not it's not a super long uh, one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the overall theme of the film will focus on the Japanese concept of light and darkness as told by puppetry and model miniaturization of the film's world. It says this work is heavily influenced by the short story by Ray Bradbury called The Foghorn, which oh, no we kidding. talked about. Yes. Yeah, we talked about in a previous episode because that short story story was originally called the beast from 20,000 fathoms and is the inspiration for the beast from 20,000 fathoms wow, uh, which also was the inspiration for godzilla <laughs> yeah so it's all coming back around that's awesome yeah so it's uh it, it's it's really really interesting it says it's it's heavily influenced by the short story by ray bradbury uh it, this story is credited as the influence behind the beast from 20,000 fathoms which in turn inspired the first Godzilla movie it can also be considered a work that attributed to the birth of the monster movie genre so it's good they're going back to the actual birth of giant monster movies Mm -hmm. Uh, using these influences a completely new story is born to follow in their massive footprints that is really cool I am looking forward to this even more now (laughs) I know, I know. And what also adds to my um, excitement for it is uh, Kaizu, Kaizo uh, Murase, I think is how you say it. You nailed name. it. <laughs> I, uh, I know. Uh, said to, uh, he's, he's a, um, he's a master model maker. Like he's, he's worked on Godzilla films. He's worked on other uh, Hong Kong films and other movies. Um, he's even worked with uh, Quentin Tarantino nice. with special effects and stuff. Um, so he, uh, notably, he did Varan, The Unbelievable, oh, wow. 1958. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did a live Showa era, Gamera. He did some Ultra, um, Ultraman stuff. Um, he also did, I think it was it was a uh, Mothra versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Mothra Battle for Earth, the 90s. Mm-hmm movie from the heisei era right um he, he did the special effects and the monster designs nice. in that uh so he's the one that's designing the monster uh nebula in this movie and so that's going to be exciting yeah for sure yeah so uh so i'm i'm begging them to please release this in the united states yeah for sure i'm i'm all in for it so, yeah, even if it, I mean, I would love to see it in theaters, but even if it was home, like Netflix or Amazon or something like that, yeah. even that would be okay. I, I like just, I want to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Hopefully <laughs> the, the groundswell for it will be enough that they'll uh, release it over here some somewhere. I mean, there's, there's so many streaming platforms that it could come to. So yeah, hopefully it'll make its way. I, I feel good about yeah. it. All right. Well, then we can jump into our main topic for this week. Now, last week I asked the trivia question that was, uh, which Japanese superhero was originally going to be called Red Man until they changed his name? That Red Man. (laughs) Uh, Call the Red Man. (laughs) It's a pest control company. (laughs) Um we did have somebody write in and answer the question. Uh, it was Michael Hamilton. Michael Hamilton uh, answered the question, and he said, "Red Man equals Ultraman." Boom. Which, yep, is exactly right. 
uh, we're going to be talking about Ultraman, the specifically the 1966 series, and even more specifically, the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Ultraman has a huge history, and so trying to cover all of that in a single episode... I think was going to be too much and even trying to cover one of the series or one of the seasons was going to be a little too much. So I figure let's just do the first three episodes and we can kind of periodically come back to the show. Um, I'll go ahead and read out the cast list to the best of my ability since they are Japanese names. Mm -hmm. I am not Japanese. I do not speak Japanese. (laughs) You'll nail it. Um, but, of course, Ultraman was created by Subaraya, mm-hmm. uh, E.G. E. Subaraya, and uh, through Subaraya Production Company. It stars Susumu Kurobi uh, as Hayata, which is the main character. Then you also have Masaya, or Masaya Nihai. Nailed it. You have uh, Ben... Furuya as Ultraman, uh, Hiroko Sakurai, Sakurai mm-hmm. uh, and Akiji Kobayashi. Uh, that's kind of the main cast there. Now, I want to say something real quick while we've touched on the captain there. Uh, Akiji Kobayashi, who plays the captain, I recognized him uh-huh. the moment I laid eyes on him. I was like, I know this guy. Mm-hmm. And I looked, and it yep. took me a second, and then I was like, he was in at least two Godzilla movies. I thought he was in more. <clears throat> but I think it was yeah. like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and Godzilla versus Mothra in the 90s, the Heisei series. The Heisei. Uh-huh. And I thought he was in more, but yeah. when I started looking through his filmography, it was just those two. And I was like, well, I thought he was in the other ones. But still, I recognized him. I was like, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, and and in fact, in the Ultraman series, in this you know sixty six series, there's a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, I Akihiko Hirata, mm-hmm. who played um, Doctor Serizawa in the original nineteen fifty four Godzilla, yeah. he appears a couple of times in this series. So it's it make and it, it makes sense because. E.G. Subaraya, he was the one who did the special effects sure. for the Godzilla movies, the mm-hmm. original Godzilla movies. So, you know, they kind of fed off of each other and, and you know, a lot of Toho legacy people came over and, and were in Ultraman and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting. So that was that's the cast. And I do want to talk about the characters, but we can get to those after we do do you want to do do you want to do this all three of them as a whole or do you want to break them down individually yeah i was trying to figure that out because they're i feel like there's they're kind of i don't want to say i don't want this to sound bad they feel very quick simple you know tidbits of episodes yeah that we could probably talk about them as a whole, but I guess we could we could kind of focus in on one at a time. That way we're not blending them all together because I don't want people to get confused if they've not seen it. But I guess if we overlap at some point, then we can. But I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on one episode at a time. Okay. Okay, yeah. And, and this is, it's a kid's show. So For sure. It's short. It's simple. It's quick. 
it makes sense. It makes mm. sense for it to be that way. Um, cause it, it was, it was meant for kids. Um, so do you want to do the synopsis for the first episode? Let's start with episode one. Sure. Uh, well, episode one sees these orbs coming to earth and, you know, uh, Hayata kind of gets hit by one and then, uh, Ultraman comes in his dreams. <laughs> this is what it looked like. <laughs> and says, you can save the world. You know, I'll give you my ultra powers. And he used, what was it? The thing that he had? It looked like a vial oh, of something. What is that called? I can't remember. Oh, it, it's, yeah, it's, everybody's going to be mad. They you know, are. Especially Ultraman fans are going to be mad <laughs> because that is, uh, that is such an iconic thing for Ultraman. I'm, I'm like, sorry. I don't know what it's called. I've never watched Ultraman before. So he has this thing and he gets it and it turns him into Ultraman. And then the monster comes out of the lake because it also crash landed. And then he's got to stop it as Ultraman. Boom, boom, da. That's pretty much the first episode. And then everybody's like, who, what is this? Oh, it's Ultraman. Of course. Yeah. So that, I mean, that that's in a nutshell what, what the that? episode is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. What is that thing called? That is going to drive me insane. I don't know. I'm sorry, Ultra fans. Or whatever you're called. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know there was a name. He said yeah. it once, at least. But I can't remember. Uh, it doesn't matter. His ultra vial of ultra-powered stuff. It's like, oh, uh, it's called, it's it's <clears throat> like a beta something? or, oh, or oh, beta. Oh, we'll call it the... That is good. <laughs> The, that is going to drive me insane. The beta capsule. How about that? That sounds good. Yeah. And yeah, then Ultra fans works. can tell us how wrong we are. Yeah. Um, the uh, interesting thing about the um, this is I didn't know the kind of story behind Ultraman and how he got his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I had never... Well, I mean, I've, I've watched Ultraman before this viewing mm-hmm. but this is only like the third time i've ever watched ultraman and it's the only time i've really sat down and paid attention right. to ultraman um so we are definitely new fans yes to ultraman which makes sense it's just now making it here to the united states really in full so the idea that this alien collided with this um officer of the space science Patrol party people. <laughs> it's like SSSP. Yeah, I think the, is, what, the is what the acronym science is. Science. Yeah, they call them the Science Patrol or something. I don't. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna have so many Ultraman <laughs> fans mad at us. We're new. <laughs> Back off. Um, yeah, we're learning. We want to learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying. I enjoyed watching this, but um, the idea that the alien, you know, Ultraman basically killed this guy yeah and then ultraman's like well i'll sacrifice my life to give you life and then you can now turn into ultraman and and use my powers to defend the earth Mm -hmm. i thought that was kind of a neat idea i never knew that that was the story behind ultraman i did yeah i mean that was definitely uh, an element to it that i didn't know i just thought it was like ah, he's got he's got powers and uh, he can turn big you know Especially when everyone calls yeah. Jet Jaguar a Ultraman ripoff. They're not in any way the same. I mean, maybe in design slightly, but 
they're absolutely yeah. not the same. One's a robot and one is a man. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I d- was completely thrown back when I was watching. I was like, huh, this is neat. Oh, Beta Capsule. Beta Capsule. That's what that yeah. thing is called. I See, we nailed beta it. Beta Capsule. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was just like, ah, that's what it is. Okay. Um. But yeah, in this in this episode, he uh, fights the monster Bimular. Bimular. See, I was trying uh, we, to make sure I heard that correctly. I heard Bimla, and I was like, I'm sure it's more than that. I I think I think it's Bimlar or Bimular. Um, is you can say it either way. I like Bimular. The way Japanese, <laughs> yeah, the way Japanese is with dropping some of the. Um, Sometimes I'll drop the U sound mm-hmm. in words. So like it'll it'll be bim ular, but they'll just say bimlar. Yeah. Um, it's kinda like uh even English uh, dubs they ruin stuff because we got well, okay, I don't want to say that ruined it. I kinda prefer Minya over Manila, but eh, anyway, yeah. that's that's splitting hairs. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and it, it's kinda like because me and my cousin were uh, discussing this recently when we were watching some Godzilla movies, um, we were discussing the difference between Ghidorah and Ghidorah, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, Ghidorah is how they say it in Japanese, um, but you know, Americans we say Ghidorah, Ghidorah, uh, and I don't think either one is necessarily right or wrong. I just, it's just different. Yeah, inflections. That's all. What did you think of this first episode? What was your thoughts on it? Uh, it, I I definitely had to kind of keep in mind that it was a kid's show because the way everything, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a, essentially setting the stage for the show. Uh, but I guess right. within that 30 minute window that, you know, the show kind of had, it really kind of rushed through everything. It was just like, here are the characters you need to get to know. Here's how Ultraman's going to get created and boom, done. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. that was pretty quick. So, yeah, it felt like it was it, it could have used a little bit more padding, like they could have stretched that out a little bit more, maybe over a course of a couple episodes. But I, I understand, again, for kids, they're just like, just get them the monster, get them, get them the Ultraman. That's all they want. Don't don't worry about mm-hmm. it. So just get through it. So I'm I'm trying to be understanding that that's the mindset of why they just rushed through it as quickly as they did. Uh, and th- right. that even goes with a lot of the other episodes. I don't feel like they, they felt as rushed as this first episode. But right. again, they're they're trying to cater to a specific audience, just get to the point. So I, <clears throat> it's not what I would have done, but I understand it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I completely agree with that. The, the first episode is kind of just a crash course in, here's Ultraman. He's an alien that accidentally killed a pilot. He merges with that pilot, so the pilot now has the Ultraman powers, and he's meant to stop aliens and monsters on Earth to protect the Earth. Mm. Go, you know, and 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 oh, and the timer—that was another thing I did not realize that was a part of uh, Ultraman lore. Right, was the the timer that he can only be Ultraman for a certain amount of time. Mm. That was uh that was new to me. I didn't know that. But uh, I'm I'm reading about Ultraman and reading about all the later series. I mean, it's a continuous thing. That is like a mainstay of Ultraman. He only can be Ultraman for a certain amount of time. But uh, I just didn't know that. <laughs> See that that actually makes sense because 
one of the the very first I probably have mentioned this before when we were talking about it, but uh, one of my first experiences with Ultraman was there was a Super Nintendo game that was just Ultraman, and I think it was mm-hmm. de- uh, developed or published by Bandai, and it was just you're Ultraman, you fight a monster. It was nothing to it. It was very very cut to the chase, simple. But there was a timer, if I do remember correctly. And you had mm-hmm. probably three minutes to get through that fight, or that's it. Yeah. And yeah. not knowing the lore, I was just like, "Well, it's a timer in a fighting game that you know that's typical." But now it makes more yeah. sense because it was like, "Yeah, you've only got three minutes. You're Ultraman. You're gonna die." I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So yeah, and it was a um, if I remember right when I was reading uh, the info on it, it was a way of kind of keeping the episodes shorter because they only had a limited amount of time that they could devote to filming and that was the thing they were filming these things like crazy and and they had a crazy production schedule that meant they were constantly going constantly going Mm -hmm. and so to keep the fights to a minimum and really the amount of time it was like it's like a five minute a five minute timer yeah or 10 minute timer somewhere i think it fluctuates depending on the season Mm -hmm. but uh um they said that that amount of time is about how long that the fight scenes are supposed to last in each episode so it made sense we're just going to keep it concise Mm -hmm. uh so it, it makes sense sure um now as far as the monster bimular what are your thoughts on that monster? He was about as Godzilla a ripoff of as you could get. Not looking like him, mind you, but he sounded right. a lot like him, just with a higher pitched scree, scree, yeah. and then his his breath, his his laser fire or whatever that term was last right, time. Yeah, that was that was Godzilla's. I was uh-huh. like, you stole that. So right. I, I guess just yeah, from a well, sense of uh, trying to, to keep it simple and familiar, just like, yeah, just put it in there. It doesn't matter. I get it. It's TV budget, you know, and they're rushing. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we're going to look at future episodes as we revisit the series where Godzilla actually appears in the series. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not called Godzilla, but the suit actually makes an appearance mm-hmm. and. And it's it, with a little few little redesigns. So uh, Subaraya, they were they were working closely with Toho in sharing a lot of you know the Toho would lend over some of the suits, and so they could do it. And it was a way of cutting back the budget, sure. uh, making sure that they didn't spend too much money. But you were mentioning the roar. The roar actually is the Godzilla roar, yeah, yeah. just with it. It's done in reverse, oh, and okay. it's turned up a little bit. The tempo is turned up. So mm. yeah, it, it's it's. It is Godzilla. (laughs) Now, I was looking at it and I thought, he kind of looks like a puppy dog. Yeah, he does. He's like the tongue. (laughs) He he has like his tongue's hanging out. He's Mm -hmm. just like a dog. And he's a, it looked like a dog with chicken wings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, chicken wings. But uh, I mean, it's still an interesting design. Yeah, I I think again trying to keep in mind when you're watching this don't expect and this again is very eye of the beholder of what you expect these these movies way back when they were limited to a budget but the movies compared to this you could see more expression out of the monsters you can see a little bit more movement out of the monsters these again working on a tv budget they're trying to create these kaiju 
they do come off a little bit cheaper, but at the same time, right. I don't look at it and I'm just like, oh man, that's just terrible. I'm understanding of what they're attempting, especially if they had to go back and recycle Godzilla suits. There's no telling what else they recycled. So right, yeah, exactly. And and a lot of the even Ultraman himself, they do improve the look of him over time mm-hmm. um even in this first season because originally they were trying to get ultraman's mouth uh, they were trying to get ultraman's mouth to move so they had all the mechanics in it and everything and you kind of see that the suit is softer rubber mm-hmm. and where it was meant to move but then later on when they realized that that wasn't showing up on camera it wasn't doing a good job they just scrapped it all together and just made it one solid piece and as one solid piece it looks much better right. so they definitely improve over time mm-hmm. but like you it's like i i'm not such a stickler for things looking kind of on the cheap side if i know that the story and everything else is there to kind of draw me into the into the show right. and it, it, this this show did you know the the characters and the story itself did draw me in mm-hmm. um before we move on to the next episodes i do kind of want to talk about the characters uh did you have a favorite character from the from the first three episodes that we watched as far as the first three go i mean i, I guess all together uh, i think it was, uh, I think they called him Ito or ID or Edie. I can't remember. He was the, the goofy uh, one. Oh, yeah, Ide. Yeah, Ide. Ide. Yeah, he, I think I liked him the most because he was like your comic relief character. He was a silly, goofy type mm-hmm. character. He was just, he made the most of it, you know? And not to say that none yeah. of, any of the other characters weren't fun and interesting in their own right, but he's the one that really seemed to have more of a personality than the rest. Everybody else is just like, we're part of the science yeah. patrol and we got things to do and that's it. But him, he had that comedic edge to him that allowed him to be a little bit more freeing and playful. And I, I think I leaned a lot more to him, especially when episode two rolled around and that became kind of his episode in a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Really showcased what he could do. So I was a little bit more leaning toward seeing more of him after that episode. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with that. Um, Hayata, the the one who actually becomes Ultraman, he he was you know your typical heroic character. Mm-hmm. So you know I, he, he's good for what he is. Right. But the ones that stood out to me was Ide and the Captain. Yeah, mm-hmm. the two of them really stood out to me. The the actors in it were good. Uh, like you said, Ide being the kind of comic relief. If anyone has watched the Ultra, um, not Ultraman, ugh, Voltron yeah. uh, series that's on Netflix, he's kind of like the, um, what's his Lance. name? Hunk? Is that his name? Oh, yeah, 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 Hunk. I was going to say Lance, but Lance or Hunk, yeah. both, yeah. They kind of lend himself uh, to that. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a little bit like Lance. He reminded me more of Hunk, the, um, the yellow uh, lion yeah that would have been hunk. paladin mm-hmm. uh because he is more of the comic relief and kind of the he's the one that brings the levity right to all the situations and stuff mm-hmm. um and so i did like him and like you said uh in episode two that really he really shines right. in that one um so 
since we're talking about episode two, let's go ahead and do what's the uh, plot breakdown for that episode. So uh, the science patrol uh, finds out that there's this new alien threat that's uh, invading this building and it uh, starts freezing people. I guess it's not like freezing, but they, they're it shoots a ray at them, a big red ray, and they they're just, frozen in place and they just stall. And there's no other explanation. They're playing red light, green light. Right. And that's that's actually pretty funny, just watching the actors just stand there and you, uh-huh. you're like, don't move, don't move, but oh, you move. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they try to figure out what this thing wants. They tell it to get off Earth and go to Mars, and it says, oh, we don't like Mars, we're going to stay here. And then, of course, Ultraman has to save the day. And Ultraman, or the monster gets big. Ultraman, after a, a hiccup, which we'll get into, uh comes in and straight up beats the crap out of this monster pretty quick. Like, there was hardly a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, of the three monsters for these three episodes that we watched, this one is my favorite. This is uh, Alien Balton. Mm -hmm. And looking up information, because like I said, I'm not a, you know, Ultraman. I I don't know Ultraman the way I know Godzilla. Right. Um... But looking up the information, Baltan does show back up okay, uh, many, many times throughout the different series. Uh, he's like a main returning monster that they fights, mm. um, and I and I'm glad because that design is really cool. The special effects that they did in the episode were really mm. cool. Uh, the whole mirroring and kind of compositing that they did right. was really cool. So I, I just I really like that that character that that um alien monster. So I'm really glad that they. A lot of monsters do make return you know things, but th- but this one seems to be one of the main ones that keeps coming back. And at least it was a like you said out of the three, it probably was the most interesting because there was a lot more to it other than just. I'm a monster, and I came out of the ground and uh, destroying stuff. There was actually more to this monster than just destruction. There, I mean, there was—it's an alien race. There, there's—they've got a, a reason to be there, you know, or at least in their mind, they right. have a reason to be there. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I would definitely like to see more of this particular one. So that's good to hear. Yeah, and and that actually segues into a question I wanted to ask you. Did you watch these uh, episodes in English, or did you watch them in Japanese with subtitles? I wished I could have watched them in Japanese because the English dub I got was terrible. But oh wow, I watched them in English. <laughs> wow, yeah, I um, I watched I watched these episodes twice. I watched them once with in English in the English dub, and then I watched them once in Japanese with the subtitles mm-hmm. and there was I noticed this it was it there is something in the first episode that I'll, I'll talk about too but I saw it more in this episode there were differences in the two um, believe it. in the yeah in the English dub the alien Balton or Baltan are portrayed as more menacing and more mm-hmm. villainous. In Japanese, at least to me, they didn't come off as menacing. They okay. came off more of, 
you know, we're desperate, we're looking for a home, we're going to move here to this planet. They never threaten humanity outright in the Japanese version, huh. whereas in the English dub, they they did. They included uh, little things that they said that made them seem more threatening, like they were going to wipe out humanity. Which then also makes the moment when Ultraman basically commits genocide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of really interesting because... In the American version or, or the English dub, it was like, well, he didn't really have a choice because these aliens were threatening to take over Earth. They had no, you know, they were going to wipe out humanity. In the Japanese mm -hmm. version, they seemed more like refugees who were just trying to, uh, you know, find a place to live. Maybe we can co, you know, co-inhabit Earth. And the humans are like, well, no, we can't fit that many people on this planet. And then Ultraman just wipes them out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's like, uh. Maybe it's just me, but this seems very harsh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would kind of agree with you, because if I felt some sympathy for it, you would think that Ultraman would try to find some common ground, some way to deal with this mm -hmm. in a more peaceful manner. But when we get to episode three, we're going to talk a little bit more about his uh, way of doing things, because uh, I don't know. I, I got to question what Ultraman's motives are sometimes, because... yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right. Um, oh, but going along with that and that you were talking about the um, them trying to find a better way of doing things or a more peaceful solution in the episode, they actually do have a scene where the captain is trying to convince everyone. Well, maybe these aliens aren't here to hurt us. How do we know they're here to hurt us? We haven't talked to them. We haven't communicated yet. So we don't know. So maybe we should communicate with them first and mm -hmm. which again in the american dub he he makes the same argument but then you find out well no he was wrong not necessarily wrong in trying but just he was wrong in the fact that they weren't there to do harm they obviously were but in the japanese version it does seem more like maybe he was right maybe they weren't there to do harm and you decided to fight them anyway and they decided to retaliate and that's what led to the whole fighting with Ultraman. Um, I have watched ahead a good bit in the series mm -hmm. and there is an episode much later on in this series where Ultraman and the entire science patrol people, <laughs> the team, science uh, patrol, yeah, the the entire people, uh, the they have to kind of come to grips with the idea that um, these monsters may not be evil. They might just be here because there's nowhere else to go. And we're just killing them <laughs> mercilessly we'll say, sometimes. Okay. And they even hold a funeral uh, for the monsters to kind of like show their respect for all the monsters yeah. that Ultraman kills and stuff throughout. So I, I like that they do address that later on. Yeah, that's that's smart. Mm -hmm. But it did throw me off when I was like, well, you know, in the American dub, they were outright evil. But then the Japanese, they're not. And, and oh, and I was saying that in the first episode, they had something similar. The first episode, Bimular, in Japanese, is described as a monster. But mm -hmm. in the... American dub, 
he was described as a space villain or a space criminal. He was actually described as a criminal. So it kind of, again, makes him more of like, well, yeah, in the American dub, it's he's outright evil, obviously evil. Whereas in the Japanese dub, he's just a monster. We don't know that he's necessarily here to harm anyone. He's just a monster that doesn't know any better. So, but I, th- I, I think yeah. that speaks to the way that uh, the American production companies who take these over and dub them and, and create the narrative. There is a history of them changing elements to work in favor or shift a narrative. One of the best examples that I can think of as far as this goes, and we'll talk about this in greater detail later on, but in, uh, the Return of Godzilla, which is Godzilla 1985 here. There's mm-hmm. a there's a plot thread that, for for what it, well, I know what reasons, but we won't get political. The right. American dub essentially makes the Russians the bad guys. When mm-hmm. when you watch the Japanese version, the events that take place do not happen as you saw them. In the American version, the the narrative is completely different. It is not right. what happened. In fact, they added scenes just to create that narrative. So I think there is a history of American producers creating these false narratives just to just to kind of work, I guess, whatever works here. So, so it's got to right. be a space villain. Well, he's a bad guy. There you go. Boom. And uh, mm-hmm. these aliens, they're they're not here for anything purposeful. They don't care. They're just bad guys. Make them whatever right so you make them evil and that that just fixes everything yeah so i think th- i would say that the japanese audiences they're they're working with a little bit more subtlety and i can appreciate that even though like you said it, yeah. uh, him coming off and killing an entire race of aliens when they're just like we go, have nowhere else to go that's it's questionable yeah i'm glad i didn't watch that version <laughs> yeah well uh, it, it's definitely interesting uh, you know, I won't say it's necessarily worse or better, but it's definitely interesting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and like you said, there, there is a history of that. And I don't know if it goes to American audiences are expected to have things more spelled out for them. There's not as much subtlety in American, uh, television. Uh, mm-hmm. I know even with the Pokemon, the Pokemon movie, the first one, uh, when they dubbed it into uh, for American audiences and they cut it down for American audiences. They uh, took out a lot of the subtlety and made mm-hmm. the main villain more villainous and less uh, complicated. So, you know, that there is a long history of that. And it does seem like there is less subtlety in American uh, television, especially when geared towards children. I think there's something about American uh, production companies that they don't want to give kids the idea that there are gray areas. They just want, it's like, Oh no, there are good and there are bad. <laughs> right. Which I really can't say that's a good idea. I mean, kids, we, I mean, we talked about it earlier. Kids absorb so much when they're younger right. and the older they get, the less they absorb. So teach it to them young that, you know, sometimes what you think right or wrong could have some gray area and help them understand that. I think that would be so great. So I think that's probably why, not saying that they are, but it's probably a fact, is that Japanese uh, school children, they probably have a higher education 
better education over there, but we're getting off topic. I'm just saying, you know, it, yeah. the subtlety, there is a purpose for it. You right. know, it, everything yeah. oh, doesn't yeah. have to be black and white. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, again, we are getting off topic, but uh, one last little thought is I think that as you see more American uh, television and cinema that's influenced by Eastern you know, we have a lot more anime influence now in our animation uh, stuff coming from America, and we have a lot of, you know, British television that's coming over. So there, I think there is more subtlety coming into American television now than mm. there used to be, especially the ones geared for, towards kids. But just back in the day, there just wasn't that subtlety. And yeah. when they were doing that uh, dub into English, they were doing it back in the day. So they're just... Mm. They were, no, these are the bad guys. They're evil. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, I mean, while we're talking about this subtlety, how unsubtle this was, I don't know if you caught this in the English dub. It was just, the explanation made no sense. And it, I do want to watch the Japanese version for this very reason, because when this explanation came on screen as to why the Baltans wanted to be there, it uh-huh. just seemed so flimsy. And I was like, you cannot tell me this is the only reason and plot point they could come up with. When they said, go to Mars, they're like, no, Mm -hmm. we do not like Mars. We're going to stay here. And I was like, so it couldn't be because you can't survive in the atmosphere or you just don't like it. You just Uh, don't like it. And that's the only reason you want to be there. (laughs) I mean, I feel you. Don't get me wrong, but that's it. That is a difference in the Japanese and the American dub then, because uh, I didn't even remember that in the American dub, but I do know in the Japanese version, the the original one, there's an element that's on Mars that they can't survive in. See? That would make more sense. (laughs) That makes so much more sense. Yeah, but in the American dub, nope. There's no subtlety. Again, they're just evil. They just don't want to. Yeah, we're we're not going. <laughs> we're staying here. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So Oh man. So um let's let's move on quickly uh to episode three. I'm not gonna have as much to say about episode three because episode two was my favorite of the three that we mm. watched. Um but in episode three we have the monster Naranga. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And do you wanna do a quick um plot breakdown for that one? Okay, so this rando kid that showed up in episode two, literally, they I didn't catch any reason as to why that kid, Hoshino, I think that was his name, showed up at all. Mm-hmm. He just happened to be with the space or science patrol. I don't know what I was going to say, space force. Science patrol. Yeah. He just showed up. <laughs> uh, this time, he just randomly climbs down this well, and they're like, no, don't do that. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going down here. And he shines his little light, his flashlight, and then he wakes up a monster. I'm guessing he woke him up by going down there. And so now this new big monster, Naranga, comes loose and he starts to destroy the, uh, what was it, the water dam, the power. power. It's all the power plants. Yeah, the power plant. But it's a dam, you know, water power. That's what it is. Yeah. And then just like, oh, no, what is this thing? But then he seems to be like some ancient monster that got woken up and now he's trying to feed off all these power plants and they got to figure out it. And then the, the, the kid, man. Kid, get on my nerves so much. But anyway, yeah, at the uh, end, uh, they track him down, and then Ultraman beats him again. Ultraman murders this monster. I'm just gonna say. That, oh yeah. But... Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That was. Um, 
again, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know if Ultraman is necessarily as heroic as what everybody seems no, to think. <laughs> because that monster was down. He was down for the count, and Ultraman went, okay, beam, boom, and then he turns uh, into dust, and I'm like, oh my god, he just murdered that thing. I understand it was a yep. threat, but my god, dude, it was down. Yeah. I feel like you're going to enjoy that future episode where they visit the monster graveyard and <laughs> they have to come to terms with all of the death that they've caused. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. But that, that is is something. But uh, I wanted to ask you, have you did you ever watch um Speed Racer? I never did, but I'm aware of it. I'm uh, bits and pieces just that I picked up over the years, but I've never watched it. Okay. Well, there is, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but, um, there is an ongoing thing through that entire series that Speed Racer's younger brother, uh, Mm -hmm. and their pet chimp always stow away in Speed Racer's car and they always get caught up in all of the hijinks and adventure and stuff that the, Mm -hmm. the speed is going on. That is a trope in japanese television in in especially in kids things is having a kid character who just stows away and is just there along with the ride along for the ride um so that explains that (laughs) yeah so this that that kid character in this show he is a main character he's throughout the series he doesn't disappear unfortunately he does not go away i didn't figure he would But just to kind of give you some context, that's what he's there for. (laughs) So he showed up at the science patrol. They're talking about things. Then they get ready to go on their science patrol. I love their clothes changing, by the way. It was like, science patrol, let's go. And then they just like tear off their clothes, unzip some stuff. And it's like, we're in a uniform. But no, Mm -hmm. the kid looks at this gun that they had and they're like, don't touch it. Don't touch the gun. What does the kid do? He steals the gun. I'm like, my God. Uh kid and he's gonna go and take care of the monster himself and oh god it was so bad (laughs) yeah does everything they tell him not to do and he still all he does is cause more trouble and it's like you didn't do anything you didn't help stop doing things yeah (laughs) um as far as the monster is concerned i think this monster design is you know pretty generic he's okay mm-hmm. um i did kind of like the idea of him being invisible until he started absorbing uh electricity or power mm-hmm. and then he would show back up uh so that was kind of cool but outside of that I, it was that was of the three that one was my least favorite yeah I, he kind of really had some I, I guess design wise there were some baragon-esque qualities to him i guess more on the back end and then his roar yeah. kind of reminded me there was like I got hints of Megalon, but then also some other like it was a weird combination of sounds. It was like I, this sounds familiar, but I can't quite pinpoint it to something. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, yeah he was, it, it, he was an odd, odd duck. It's a it's an interesting mishmash. <laughs> but he's dead now, so. 
Yeah, right. Uh, and I'm not sure about that monster. I didn't actually look it up if he does come back in a future thing. I don't think so, because he seemed dead. <laughs> yeah, if he came back, I would like to know how, because he was obliterated. Which, yeah. and while we're talking about Ultraman coming back, did you not find it odd that when they had to go rescue the Idjit kid, and they were just mm-hmm. like, oh, what did you do? And they're just like, oh, we got to run. He Hiyata is right there, and he runs mm-hmm. directly toward the monster, and they say, what are you doing? And then Ultraman appears, and they're just like, wow, it's Ultraman. I'm like, that was a dead giveaway. How can you not oh, yeah. figure this that out was by a- now? <laughs> That was another thing I didn't realize was a part of Ultraman's kind of whole thing was the the secret identity. I didn't yeah. know he had a secret identity. I thought Ultraman was just Ultraman, but but yeah, that and and like you said, the more convoluted ways of keeping his identity secret was just kind of wow. You're just like where did Hiyata go? And he just comes strolling back up after the fight, and he's like, uh-huh. you, you guys seriously cannot piece this together at this point. I mean, I think it's yeah. clear. It, and I think that that's um, because uh, looking at some of the production and the behind the scenes stuff of this, they they did take some influence from American superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole idea of us of a uh, secret identity and everything is an American superhero thing. That's you know kind yeah. of the American trope. Uh, if you look at superheroes in Japan that are wholly originally japan they don't necessarily have secret identities and they don't really have that kind of dual uh identity thing going on so i think that's that's a carryover from a little bit of the american superhero influence on ultraman is that that secret identity but yeah i didn't know that was a thing until after i was watching i was like huh (laughs) (laughs) um and just as a little side note the um uh what is the monster's name naranga uh, mm-hmm. his roar is a Baragon roar okay, that they so... reused. I just looked it up. <laughs> Boom. So, I knew it sounded uh, familiar. <laughs> and he does come back in future, uh, future series. So <laughs> I'm curious to know how, but we'll get there. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, I think it also because uh, a lot of the um, Ultraman series are kind of self-contained and mm-hmm. have their own uh, history and stuff. So they're not necessarily connected to each other. Uh, right. So that might be how he comes back that, you know, it's like, well, he's in this yeah. one. He's a different alien altogether. Um, sure. Okay. But yeah. Um. So since we did our breakdown of the episodes, um. Of the three episodes, I, I said what my favorite one was. What's your favorite one? I would definitely have to lean toward episode two as well. I think there was just, it had a fun uh, take and twist. Although I would say that the fourth wall breaking that uh, Ida did was a little like jarring because they didn't do that. But again, mm-hmm. I understand for this episode, it was a necessary plot point just for the comic relief sake or whatnot. So right. I... I I wasn't like, eh, I don't like it, but I got it. Um, the monster was interesting. It was a lot more interesting than the other two. At least there mm-hmm. was something to it other than just like, well, I'm awake. I'm going to wreak havoc, and then Ultraman's going to kill me. There was something more to right. it. So, yeah, I'd have to definitely agree that number two, although we did introduce Hoshino in that episode. and 
<laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. But no, it was it was definitely a good one. Um, there was one scene in that episode, though, that bugged the crap out of me. I don't know why it took so long, but it was when Hayata had dropped the beta capsule. And then he went to grab oh, yeah. it. And I, I understood everything that was going on here. He went to grab it, and it fell off the building. And he's like, oh, no. And then the pan mm-hmm. shot from the top of the building to the beta capsule took forever. And I'm oh, like, yeah. why are we doing this? Why is this taking so long? Just <laughs> cut to it. We got it. We know what happened. But no, we went the length of the building down. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. But yep. no, that, beyond it's that. So, it's it so funny seeing the style of filmmaking in this series and then because i'm also a huge fan of the um japanese uh spider-man mm-hmm. series and if you've ever watched the japanese spider-man series the editing in that show is redonkulous <laughs> <laughs> like I the person who was editing that show was on some kind of crack speed something <laughs> because there are so many quick edits in that and then you come back to Ultraman and you see Ultraman there's these long lingering shots of just you know slow moving and everything and it's just like it's completely different mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to see the do- two different styles um seeing as they're both from Japan they're both superhero based it's really interesting right um so least favorite parts you've mentioned the kid yeah hishino would you definitely have any... be the top of that and i know we're <laughs> gonna see him more <laughs> um oh yeah as far as uh, i don't know anything that i dislike i get i i guess i don't want to dog on the the movie the movie the show for mm-hmm. cheap suits and things because again we understand it's a tv budget so i don't want to knock on it i'm right. really trying to think of anything that just I, I i guess the length of the episodes and how fast they just kind of barrel through can be a little jarring because yeah. you're just you're looking forward to something and it just kind of ends but again 30 minutes kids show they're just trying to cut to the chase so I, I get it but i guess i would i'm looking for a little bit more substance and maybe over time the other series and Maybe even that new one. Right. Uh, I haven't even seen it. Maybe they give it more substance because they take the time to develop these characters. But 1966, I'm trying to be very understanding about their production values. So I don't want to knock it for something like that. So overall, I'll just say Hoshino. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, For me, besides uh, Hoshino... My least favorite part probably is it probably is the um the breaking the fourth wall that Ide did and and, mm-hmm. and which is weird because Ide is my favorite character in the right. show so far, but I'm glad that it seems to be contained to this episode because I right. have watched ahead and there's not as far as I know there's no other episodes where he breaks the fourth wall. It just seems like this was a one-time thing just for the comedy of it all. Um, right. And so it worked, but it was just like, yeah, the, this show is not the kind of show that breaking the fourth wall really works. Yeah, considering that they, did it, they didn't do it in episode one, and then the very first thing that happens in episode two was that, that's why it, did, that's why mm-hmm. it felt jarring, because it was like, are we're doing this now? 
So we didn't yeah. establish that before, and now you're breaking the fourth wall. So it really felt too soon. Like, if they were going to do an episode like that, you felt like that would be something you do after you established it for a while. And then it's like, now we're, we're putting a twist on it. But this was this felt very early on for such a, a drastic turn in narrative. So, yeah, like I said, I could appreciate yeah. what they were doing, but I would agree with you on that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm... Overall, though... I'm glad that I'm starting to get into Ultraman. Um, I'm finally putting context to a lot of the things I've seen online, a lot of the things mm-hmm. I've seen referenced in other media, as far as, you know, the things that were inspired by Ultraman, the things that were referencing Ultraman. I'm glad I can put that stuff into context now. And so this has been kind of a fun journey of watching these episodes, and I look forward to watching more of them and discussing more of them in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So I think we're going to hold off on giving our Godzuki uh, score just because we only have the first three episodes. So maybe when right. we get to the end of the series, we'll give the whole series a a Godzuki score out of five. <laughs> that sounds fair. All right. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up? Uh, Yeah. Now that I think about it, a little, I guess it's a little trivia bit that you can kind of fall into is um the 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 phone that rang mm-hmm. the, it sounded like Ghidorah I thought was a nice mm-hmm. little thing just little sound effects like that that they use that sounded like carryovers for the monsters but that one in particular when I heard the and I was like wait a minute yeah, uh-huh. and it was like oh it's a phone yep. and I was like oh that's cool so little yeah. little things like that that they threw in I thought was pretty neat yeah and um, just for just for a fun fact section, um, we mentioned in the question or the week uh, how this uh, Ultraman was originally going to be called Red Man. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultraman went through many iteration, like a lot of different designs and stuff before they settled on what they did originally, because this is a sequel series to Ultra Q and Ultra Q is more like the Twilight Zone where each story is kind of its own self-contained thing, and they're just investigating weirdness and science-y stuff, and there's no superhero, there's no Ultraman, there's nothing like that. And right. uh, and so the idea originally was that this sequel series was going to be a good monster versus bad monsters. And they designed this monster character that would be the good guy but then they thought well maybe having two monsters and one of them being good might confuse kids and so kids might get confused on who to root for which is confusing to me because they did that with godzilla (laughs) right so i don't know um but that design for that monster that originally was going to be ultraman actually went on to be gappa uh, the monster movie, you know, if you know that monster movie, that monster design was originally going to be Ultraman. Interesting. And then they designed this look of having the silver and red, and so they were going to call him Red Man. But then they decided to change it because they wanted it to connect more with the Ultra Q series, so they changed it to Ultraman. And actually, the name Red Man did get used for a Ultraman type of uh, hero later on. So uh, it's just kind of an interesting how they developed 
the character of Ultraman, how they got to the point where they were at. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we can move on to the mailbag. What do we got? So, uh, opening up the mailbag, we have a few emails this week. Now, earlier in the episode, um, I said we had a message from uh, um, from Michael Hamilton. He was right. the one who answered the, the trivia question. Um, he also sent us an email. Now, Michael Hamilton is the moderator and runs the Facebook group Kaiju Groupie. and i i'm a part of that group and i love being a part of that group it is a fantastic facebook group for giant monster fans i'm gonna have to check it out yes definitely do that because there's a lot of great discussions in there we have a lot of fun um right now because it's godzilla month they're doing a kind of March Madness type thing. It's a bracketed competition where they put um, all of the different versions of Godzilla uh, and they'll put two at a time you know, against each other. Uh, and who do you like the best? Who gets the most votes? And then they move on. They do, you know, they'll face the person who won the other competition. You know how brackets work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so right now we're going through that. It's called um, Godzilla Madness, I think. Um, nice. And that it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. My bracket was busted within like the first couple of days because <laughs> some of the ones that I did not expect to win won the bracket and or won the won the verses. So, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I I wanted to give a good shout out to Kaiju Groupie or the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. It's an excellent place. It, it, any listeners, if you're not a part of that group already, go check it out because it's a fun place. They're very welcoming. They're very friendly. Um, they're the even the 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 ribbing that we kind of give each other uh, in this like Godzilla Madness competition because some people wanted to vote for you know they're they're kind of doing this campaign. It's almost like a almost like. Um, politicians you know who are campaigning so people will campaign for which one they want to win the votes and stuff Mm -hmm. and uh there's kind of gentle ribbing between people uh in that kind of way but but it's all in good fun and so it's a it's a great place um but yeah so michael hamilton who's the moderator for that group he sent us an email and he actually sent us three questions okay now i checked with him to make sure this was okay and he said it was fine we're just going to take one of his questions this week, and we're going to save the other two for another week. Sounds um, good. So, so Michael says, hey, fellas, which of Ray Harryhausen's films was the most influential in your journey to being a full-fledged kaiju addict? The show you did on The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms was great, but the film that stands out the most to me is The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and The Valley of Guanji. Both films were on repeat for me growing up. Thanks in advance, Michael Hamilton, the Kaiju Groupie. Interesting. So, what of Ray Harry? Which of Ray Harryhausen's movies do you think uh, kind of influenced you in being a giant monster mo- uh, fan? I guess it would really have to go back to Clash of the Titans because. Oh that, yeah, that's one that I remember watching a lot as a kid, and obviously there was the Kraken at the end, 
and a lot of his stuff. That's that's one of those films that I was introduced to him early on. I didn't know who Ray Harryhausen was, but right his his work was there, and I was just familiar with it. And then I remember the Seven Voyages of Sinbad, but not like Clash of the Titans. So that one would have to be the one that really is the the hugest influence of of being why I would yeah. have that that attachment. Yeah. Uh for me personally, I think uh, I Seventh Voyage of Sinbad was one of them because I remember as a kid watching that movie and then begging my dad to cuz my dad was an artist or well, he wasn't a professional artist but he was good with art and so I would beg him to draw the cyclops Mm -hmm. uh and let me yeah and and he actually took and drew the cyclops and then cut it out and turned it into like a a little like paper doll type thing that i could play with as a kid and i would have the the cyclops fight godzilla and everything Mm -hmm. um so that one definitely was an influence on me and mysterious island the nice. mysterious island with the giant chicken or giant bird um, <laughs> and uh, the giant crab. I, I I remember watching that as a kid and just loving every bit of it. So those two, and, and like you, I didn't know who Ray Harryhausen was, mm. but I just knew I liked these movies. Right. So uh, those are the two that, that really influenced me. All right. So I hope that we answered your question, Michael. And, uh, he also mentioned that, uh, to me on the Facebook group that, uh, if we ever wanted to have one of the, uh, kaiju groupies on as a co-host, hit him up because he would love to be a part of it. So, Excellent. uh, we, we might have you on to talk more about giant monsters, Michael, because, uh, we definitely, I definitely enjoy your Facebook group that you have going. So, all right, returning to the mailbag, we have another email, which is crazy. We've got two emails in one week. <laughs> um, this one is from Dakota Morgan. And it says, hey, guys, love the show. Currently, I am writing a kaiju comic book series called Operation Kaiju Shield, a series where we put giant monsters in the Vietnam War. The first two issues are out, but uh, what are some things you fellow kaiju fans might want to see? Uh, so he, so yeah, so he's writing uh, this comic book, and he wants to know what kind of stuff would we like to see in this comic book about giant monsters in uh, Vietnam. And he, uh, includes the, uh, Instagram for himself and for the, uh, publisher that's publishing the comic book. So I will include that in the show notes. Nice. Uh, so that we, you, anybody who is interested in that can check it out. But, um, so what's, that's an interesting idea. Giant monsters during the Vietnam war. What kind of stuff would you, would you see in that? Or would you want to see in that? I don't know. That's, I guess my big question is why he chose the Vietnam War. Not that I'm questioning his uh, his writing at all. I guess I'm fascinated by the the process. Like, what about mm-hmm. Vietnam kaiju smash? And then the idea right. just came about. That's that's interesting enough in itself that I I really don't know if I have anything because I want to know what he's going to do. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because I, yeah. the the idea just sounds so foreign, but in a good way. Yeah. Because I don't it, know. It definitely sounds really interesting. I I'm I looked up uh, the Instagram and was looking at some of the images that he had for the comic book, and, and it, it looks great. Mm-hmm. It looks like a fantastic comic. So I'm really interested to see. Um, the only thing that I was thinking of is... Vietnam has its own mythology, of course, just like every other culture in the world. And so I'm sure I know there's monsters in Vietnam mythology. I don't know about giant monsters in Vietnam mythology. Mm -hmm. So maybe finding and including some of the actual Vietnamese monsters from, you know, their own mythology and their own culture uh, in in the story uh, would be interesting. That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Wow, that's such a. I don't. I'm. I'm not trying to downplay this at all, or or like I'm. I. I guess I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around the con. That mashing of concepts. It's. It's great though. Mm-hmm. I love. I love. Yeah. Subverting expectations like that. That's. Because you just wouldn't think about it. Why would you? Mm-hmm. But it's. It's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And and it reminds me of um, Watchmen almost because. Watchmen tells this story of, well, what would happen in during these historical events? Like, what would happen if the Vietnam War was fought in a world with superheroes? Mm-hmm. And that's what this kind of makes me think of is like, is this a world where giant monsters exist and we know they exist? How would that change the course of history right. and how would that change the outcome or, you know, the events that happened during the Vietnam war. And I kind of like that idea. So it is a really interesting idea. So mm. I'm interested in checking it out. Um, it is called, what was it called again? I, I forgot my brain. Operation Kaiju shield. Operation Kaiju shield. Yeah. So I will, I will include the show, uh, the uh, links to his Instagram in the show notes. And you guys, if you are interested in this, like we are, you can go and check it out. Uh, it says two issues are out already, so uh, check them out. For sure. I'm going to. All right. Well, I think that might be the end of our show this week. I think so. All right. Well, um, to... Give the trivia question, hinting at what we're going to be talking about next week. I'm going to give the trivia question, what monster film had the main character using American Sign Language to communicate with the giant creature in the film? Mm. So what giant monster movie had the main human character communicate with the giant monster using American sign language. And if you guys know what the answer to that is, or even if you get it wrong, that's fine too. Send us in the answers and we will read them out. And the way you can do that is by emailing us at kaijuweekly at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at kaijuweekly and Uh, Send us in any emails or thoughts that you might have. Also, if you would like to review the podcast, if you give it a five-star review and you write something down, we will read it out on the podcast because we enjoy hearing your feedback if you have any kind of feedback for the show. For sure. 
Anything else that uh, you can think of, Stephen? I think I'm golden. All right. Well, then I'm going to close out by saying uh, help control the giant monster population and Ultraman population. What? (laughs) By having your monsters spayed or neutered. We'll see you next time, guys.